Welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. You guys, my co-host today is, in their way, a Feeling Seen MVP. The star of this director's movie, Crush, Ali Cravalho, is one of our most listened to episodes of all time. I loved that movie. I love their new movie, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Uh, Sammy Cohen has also directed scads of college humor videos, so you more than likely, especially if you're a millennial coming up on the internet at a certain time, could be very familiar with uh, a separate body of work that they produced. Sammy Cohen, welcome to the show. What else do the people need to know about you before we get started besides comedy luminary Sammy, Sammy Cohen? Wow, what an introduction. This is just delightful in every way oh, already. Great, great. Um, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. I I love that Auli'i is one of the most listened to episodes. I'm obviously a huge fan of hers, and that movie is so near and dear to my heart. She's a star. She's a yes. star. 100%. That movie is a joy. That was at the at the end of I thought it was last year, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. At the end of the year our like metrics came in and that was like via Spotify. That was our most listened to episode on the platform. That makes me so happy that, you know, the, the making of crush, you know, the writers, uh, myself, we made that movie and it was so important to us because we did not have a movie like that growing up. And we went, mm-hmm. we want queer kids to feel seen. And yeah. as a filmmaker, that is a big part of why I'm doing what I do. I want to like, Movies saved me as a child and I think continue to make me feel safe in who I am and who I want to be. Um, and yeah, Crush was such, such a uh, important part of like, yeah, my my work as a filmmaker, I think my work as a human being. Um, and yeah, what a, what a joy to hear that it makes me want to cry. Happy tears. What you really have a way with, and this is such... A, this is such a crucial part of the coming-of-age movie, of the teen love story movie, in whatever fashion that love story takes. The supporting parents' roles, Megan Mullally in Crush, and then Adam Sandler and Adina Menzel in this, and also, like just like the supporting cast of adults, you crush it with a supporting cast of adults around your wonderfully like charismatic young now are you consciously aware that that's such a secret sauce of this kind of movie or you're like well of course i would just pay as much attention to this as i would pay to anything else tell me about the secret to unlocking the grown supporting cast in a youth coming of age film that's a great question i think it's a little bit like we all had our lives changed by stanley tucci and patricia clarkson in easy a like we all know how good it can be yes uh, I got. I love that movie, and I will say the parents are maybe my favorite part of that movie because it felt like something I hadn't seen. And I know that's a really like weirdly maybe controversial thing to say. No, I I had that same conversation with so many people. They're like, they, uh, are they my favorite part amidst a movie with yep. so many other potential amidst a movie where Amanda Bynes is giving the performance of her career? I mean, talk about supporting True, roles. Yeah. I mean, truly, but they they stand out and they're so memorable because it just feels like um, even if you don't have, you know, that kind of supportive parental Mm. structure, uh, it just feels like aspirational. It's funny, like coming of age movies, feel good movies, like they tend to be these sort of like slightly aspirational, you know, worlds or, you know, things that these characters are pursuing. But um, I think there's something about aspirational parenting and having a support system and a, you know, sometimes it feels utopic, like with Crush, like that's a utopic version of high school. Right. But, um, 
I think like, yeah, the, the easy A of it all, even in Booksmart, yeah, they're goofy, but like uh, easy A nailed it. It just was so, it was so nonchalant. It was so kind mm-hmm. of uh, like casual, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like oh, there's absolutely. something that's so refreshing. And yeah, that was like, I remember going, that's the first time. I feel like I've ever seen that. This is amazing. So that's my favorite part of that movie. Um, I think like it's a little bit of a no-brainer for me. Mm-hmm. I I'm very lucky to have. Um, I grew up with my mom and I have two younger sisters, but like I had a parent, like an easy A parent, mm-hmm. and so it's really just like organic and like a part. I just go yeah, like I had a, yeah. a cool Jewish mom who. <laughs> You know, it took me a long time to come out, but like my mom like didn't even scoff, went, Yeah, I figured. Like it was so not a big deal. It was yeah. almost offensive in the other way where I was yeah, like, yeah, Wait, yeah. give me a little bit of attention. Um, but uh so I kinda come, you know, from that world and I'm lucky to have that um, you know, real life experience to draw from. But I think it's important, like, yeah, in coming of age movies, coming of age movies like uh, are not just about being a teenager. Like mm-hmm. that is like, you know, for instance, Stacy and Bat Mitzvah. Mm-hmm. It's a coming of age movie about a 13 year old kid who's grappling with like, who do I want to be in the world? Yeah. And who am I? It's also a coming of age film for parents. And I think mm-hmm. like this, to- this, like I was watching, I was like, is this one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies? I, I loved him in this. I loved him in this. Well, and the beauty of this is like, he is such a, <laughs> like there's a lot of him in the movie, mm-hmm. like he, Adam Sandler as a dad, um, he is so supportive. Mm-hmm. He's so like goofy and kind, and like he is the Jewish dad we all <laughs> want and love. Um, and so much of that really just like is kind of embedded within the DNA of Danny Friedman, his character, and mm-hmm. the film as a whole. But yeah, I think like there's, it is part of the secret sauce, like, you know, family structure. It's very, this is very Jewish, but like, you know, it's like, we're all about family and community and like, yeah. um, But I think parents are often overlooked. Like if you look back at John Hughes, who's kind of one of the masters of coming of age and really there is there's certainly a nod, a a nod to John Hughes in a, in a theater scene in the movie. Yep, there. I love that you that you uh, that you saw that. Um, yeah, I think sixteen candles. As far as the design, not as much. Like, there's some you know problematic stuff there, but for sure, um, we really. Yeah, I think like the a lot of our production design was informed by like the Hughes era, Ferris Bueller in the kitchen and mm-hmm. Stacy's bedroom, uh, sixteen candles. But um, I think Hughes, you know, was very successful, and his movies felt so authentic because he gave teenagers a voice that sounded like teenagers. Yeah. And it, you know, that was what was cool back then in the 80s. I think now it's about really being authentic to teenagers, but also going like parents are human beings too. Mm-hmm. And like to give them, yeah, to let, you know, it's, it's also a movie where we need to be mindful of like how we represent them. And they're not stereotypes. They're not caricatures. They're real people. And they can be great. They can be, you know, <laughs> the easy A's. Yeah. <laughs> the P's, the P's, fellow with the P's. Um, cinema, <laughs> cinema iconography. Um, well, oh, and, and, so and before we get into your into your character choices, which have such a wonderful synergy with the, the movies that, that you've made, 
I wanted to talk to you about the focus of different category of love story. Whereas in Crush, we have a romantic arc. We have Ali Carvalho and we have Rowan Blanchard. And that is a like, you know, figuring out who do I like this girl? Like, how do I like this girl? Can I do this? And then but in You're So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, there's a there's a tertiary like love story involved with a very like, you know, perfectly cast like yes that is the epitome of a high school middle school boy teen crush but this is a love story about a friendship and that's Mm -hmm. that's my that as anybody who's ever listened to this show would know that is my meat and potatoes right there and so I wanted to talk to you about like putting the focus on both of those things with the equal weight of importance by making them the center of a sort of coming of age figure yourself out love story format, but with, you know, a friendship at the center and then with a romance at the center and, and seeing those two, it, it really feels like as as equally valid and significant. Well, tell me, like, guide me back if I get off course, but like, I think what's really um, exciting about Bat Mitzvah, I think you expect and, you know, we posit this this idea at the beginning where um, Andy Goldfarb, like, it seems like a very classic thing we've all been through, mm. whether you're you know, attracted to the, the, you know, the cool boy, girl, whoever, human. Um, I think, you know, feeling lust and love and attraction is such a real heightened state of emotion for a coming of age uh, kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And like love stories, we've seen a bunch, but I think what's really fun about Bat Mitzvah is like the real love story is the platonic love story. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they're little platonic soulmates, you know? Story story Um, of my life personally. So I feeling seen by such films as yours. Yeah, I love that. And I think I, I, you know, my friends helped me figure out who I was. Mm Um, and they were very much, you know, I think relationships, like we put a lot of weight on the romantic relationships mm-hmm. on screen. I think that is this thing that we, that we've been told, like that is the one thing that matters. Um, but when you look at the reality of like our lives, or at least in my life, I go like, I've had a lot of romantic relationships, but the people who have been with me through all of them mm-hmm. are my friends. Mm-hmm. And there is something so valid and so, yeah, I think like I similarly, I'm like what what I want to see more of is celebrating these love stories that can be platonic. Mm-hmm. Um, in Crush, obviously it is uh, like through and through, like it is more of a traditional yeah, love story. and it's great. But, um, <laughs> and it's great and, you know, very lesbian. It's grounded in friendship. Yeah, there you go. We, we love that. Uh, the the, the love- unifying queer experience. <laughs> Of course. Um, if you've been there, you, you know it. You know it. Um, you know it. But, uh, but I think, like, with Bat Mitzvah, you know, there's, there is such, like, a beautiful... Um, it's a mirror for people to go, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I, I can be, like, in love with my best friend in a completely platonic way. And, yeah, those are the people that, you know, are with you um, uh, and help you kind of figure out who you are. And, you know, it's like... Stacy and Lydia, I think, like, they are the kind of friends who make you feel nostalgic for your own. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, very they much. feel like this. Yeah. Um, and it, like, it encapsulates that first kind of love that we do experience. The first kind of love you experience is, I don't believe it's really your first crush. I think it's your first best friend. And so... I would agree. We need to see more of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. And so to to bring that over into the the characters that you've brought, there is there's two that feel like sort of like two sides of the same coin. And then there's one that's like Mm -hmm. a little bit of spice in the mix. And so (laughs) we have we have one that has been one of our very first episodes. This character came into play. Beta Sultanfuss 
from my girl icon millennial icon Veda Soltenfuss Lore and Mikael from like the you know mm-hmm. the sort of dual identity of the very young mm-hmm. protagonist of Celine Shyama's tomboy and then mm-hmm. we have we have shades from we have Guy Patterson from That Thing You Do, which is the wonderful spice in the mix. So I guess I, I get my question would be, were you were you the cool drummer in the band? I guess I'll start with Guy, really. And where did Guy come into your story? What can I help you with today, gentlemen? We have a big proposition for you, Guy. You uh you still uh, playing percussion? I told you we was, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. We need you, Sketch. How about sitting in for Chad just for tonight? Why? Asshole. <laughs> just broke his arm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're starting here because it uh, That Thing You Do is the movie that made me a drummer and a director. Really? Um, it's oh. what I give credit for. Yeah. It's a very, it's a really obscure niche little a uh, movie that changed the course of my life, but that is just my truth. And so I'm here to speak. Yeah, it. absolutely but, good. Uh, I, yeah, I was, I was in a band, um, post that thing you do. Mm-hmm. I was the drummer. Um, I was in a couple bands growing up, but, um, in college I was in a band seven day weekend. Mm-hmm. Hey, you and the Lynettes, are those prescription or are you just trying to look cool? Well, I am the drummer. I don't know if I was the cool drummer, but I definitely took the spirit of shades into, you know, everything um, I tried to accomplish. <laughs> and I, it's, you know, it's, I think it was funny. Even when I sent this over, I went, this is, this feels like a curveball and a, and a funny combination. Fantastic. But, we um, are rich tapestries. But the, I love, and yeah, I think like, you know, we're, we're multifaceted as human beings. And, um, and I think with Guy, what made me feel seen and what excited me about that character Mm -hmm. and it was slightly like, I, I think I just wanted to be him. Yeah. I mean, Um, who wouldn't want to be the object of Liv Tyler's affection and be the cool drummer in the, in the biggest band in America? Uh, I think what really like stood out to me is he is the like in that movie he is the one doing what he loves just to do what he loves there's this you know when you look at the rest of the band they have a goal and they want to like you know be the biggest and be the best and then you have shades guy who's just you know like uh working goes home and in his own private you know space does what he loves Mm -hmm. that breeds success but it's not the focal point he's not trying to commercialize himself or chase this thing in a monetary way and assign value in that sense. So I think what I really loved is this feeling of like, oh, you know, the good guy obviously wins, but I can do what I love and whether it works out or doesn't, um, as long as I, you know, bring happiness and spark joy along the way, that's what matters. Dell Paxton, who are you? I'm Guy Patterson. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm in a band called The Wonders, and we're, we just got a record. We're out here on the coast, and I play the drums, and I have all your records. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. But uh, at least I did until some of them got swiped when I was stationed in Germany, and you were playing in Germany the, the, at the time that I was stationed there. But you know what? I couldn't see you because you were playing in Hamburg, and I was stationed in Munich. But I listened to your records, and I think you're great. You are my biggest fan. 
Thanks. It really is like inspirational in that sense where I didn't feel like, yeah, the pressure that we get like we have in society to like make money and be successful. <laughs> and if you love something, you have to turn like the irony is like, I, I think I took that into filmmaking and I started making movies didn't show them like for me and only me. Mm-hmm. And it was just cause I loved it. Um, so that's kind of what made me feel excited and seen by him. Well, and, and that like, I, when I think back about that movie, like how was it kind of a weirdly impactful movie? If you were, a kid that, like, especially, like, it's not, like, a movie for kids necessarily, but, like, I grew up in, I, I was born in 1995, I'm 38, and I feel like if you're just sort of around that, like, there's a specific age range where if you grew up and that thing you do hit you in adolescence, it was kind of a huge deal. Like, there's there's something just, like, qu- quietly, like, impactful about that film to, like, a micro-generation, it seems. And there, it's just stayed with me kind of forever. Like, the specific melancholy of that scene near the end where Guy is in the recording studio by himself just playing a drum kit that's in front of him, and he, like, you know, he doesn't want to get caught, and he kind of stops the cymbals from chiming at a certain point. What do you call that? I am Spartacus. You want to lay it down? No, I was just goofing around. But then just, like, has a conversation with, you know, somebody about, like, how much he loves what he does and he loves the the, the drumming mm-hmm. and the music. And there's just something about, like, kind of how happy and sad that scene was that has really, like, embedded in me my whole life for some reason. I mean, that's such a beautiful scene to call out. I, I mean, I couldn't, I probably couldn't say it better myself. I think there's, there's bits and pieces of that throughout, um... Where it's like, yeah, this the recognition in Guy that, um, like, I think he feels at times alone, but then he, um, like, finds his way. I think that's mm-hmm. another thing, too. Like, he is the the kind of lone wolf. Um, even when he joins the band, he is, like, the one added on. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's, yeah, something quite lovely about watching someone who even, like, in that moment where he ends up alone in a quiet mm-hmm. space... Um, he's able to still find joy in like the thing he does and it draws in new people and it's just it continues to be hopeful as soon as it's sad it's hopeful again and Mm -hmm. I desperately needed that as a kid I still do it's (laughs) it's a lovely message well I guess something that like I'm I'm realizing something that jumps off of that for me that I would like to ask you about is as a director do you find that to be because and I, I feel like I hear this from friends of mine who direct. Do you find it to be a kind of isolationist job for at least a period of it? I, I feel like a lot of directors I know just kind of get siloed in the independent like development and creative work that 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 they're doing to jump off to get them to jump off and, and get it going and in production, get it get it bought and get it option, whatever. Like, is that something where like are you kind of alone with the drum kit a lot? Or do you find your experience of direct being a director, like in the sort of entirety of the process, would it be more of a communal and shared experience or is it kind of like you the lone wolf on your own it does it's funny it does feel it's such a complicated uh I think like position because it does feel very lonely a lot of the time um and I do feel very alone whether it's kind of like yeah I'm responsible and I'm like the one per like at the end of the day, I'm like, well, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it can be very isolating. And it's a funny dichotomy because you're often surrounded. Like I love going to set. Yeah. And I am constantly engaging with people yes. and surrounded by people. 
but there is there's still no more professional the, team sport than making a movie yeah. like my god a hundred percent yeah and so it's it is an interesting thing where like yeah you'll spend days and weeks even when you're surrounded by hundreds of you know crew cast people on set you go home and like somehow it still feel like it still can feel very isolating and lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weird dichotomy, but it's you know it's also weirdly something I'm kind of comfortable with. I am mm. okay, like kind of. Uh, feeling tethered and untethered at the same time. Um, I think you almost have to be too. I think when yeah. you're directing, you need to be plugged into everyone. Um, but then a part of your brain does need to exist in its own space so that you can be constantly sort of seeing the world and navigating things. So mm-hmm. uh, it might be compartmentalizing might be um, part of it as well. But uh, yeah. Well, then we have the the other two characters feel like, you know, the sort of truer compliments to one another in, in Veda and Laura and Mikhail. So obviously my girl came first chronologically. Did you watch that in real time when you were growing up? Was that something that you watched when it came out? Yeah, my girl, I wa- I don't know if I watched it right when I, I watched that so young and yeah. I watched it. I like that was one of the the yeah, the movies I had and I watched it home over and over and over. Um that one continued to even be more relevant because I lost my best friend in seventh grade. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. And he, it was like, it, and it was, you know, uh, like the relationship they had. Again, this very like sweet platonic best friend love. Yeah. Um, yeah, my friend Mac growing up was the most important person to me. Um, you know, st- I mean, frankly still is. But yeah. so that movie continued to be relevant. But like, I, yeah, I watched it. I was around the same age, more or less. And so I felt, I mean, yeah, I felt seen in so many ways. <laughs> I, there's probably not enough time. But, like, the movie opens with, she's a hypochondriac. She's a yeah. hypochondriac. <laughs> she's neurotic. She thinks she's going to die all the time. I went, that's yeah. me. I do that. I was born jaundiced. Once I sat on a toilet seat at a truck stop and caught hemorrhoids. And I've learned to live with this chicken bone that's been lodged in my throat for the past three years. So I knew Dad would be devastated when he learned of my latest affliction. I mean, I drove my mom nuts with like, I need to go to the doctor. Something's wrong with me. I still, I made a doctor's appointment for Friday. I think something's going on. I still have that in me. But I was such a weird little hypochondriac. And I was very fascinated. I mean, Veda's character obviously is obsessed with death Mm -hmm. because her father runs, you know, uh, the funeral home. But I was oddly obsessed with... Even before losing Mac, I was obsessed with death and mm. this idea of like, you know, um, being sick and all this stuff. And so watching her um, like, yeah, feel those feelings mm-hmm. uh, and be scared but fascinated and all of these things uh, also made me feel seen. She also just talked in it like she wanted to be an adult, yeah. but she didn't quite know how to do it. She felt these very big things. The way she spoke felt more authentic. Like, I was watching Disney movies and things that felt very polished and yeah. curated and filtered. And and then you see Veda and you go, oh, that's a real kid. Oh, that finally feels like me. And that's how I talk. And that's, yeah. you know. How are you going to get the money to pay for this old house if you're not working? Well, I'm going to teach creative writing this summer. So I'm doing some work. How much does it cost? $35. What do you get for that? Me, two hours a week, talking about poetry. Is this an interrogation, Veda? No. Well, I guess I'll go home and finish off War and Peace. It's summer. Your kids, go play. It was messy and, like, she looked more like me. So there's just, and she was, you know, she's a tomboy and she was, 
she liked to antagonize and <laughs> yeah. um, very much, very much a tomboy, very much didn't feel like, I know at the end of the movie, she has, you know, her friends, uh, you see the girls she, she rides off with on yeah. the bikes. But, um, but up until then, like, uh, I was the only one, like my best friend was Mac and it mm-hmm. was me and him. And it, it was very, I'd say like, it was different than a lot of the, my other friends mm-hmm. who, you know, girls hung out with girls and boys hung out with boys and everything felt binary. And I went, well, no, this is my best friend. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was, yeah, it was a very uh, sweet thing. So it was, yeah, it made me feel just like I was okay and not yeah. weird. That's when you know that it's really kind of doing it right when you when you watch a movie about about kids or teens and and it pings in you that like nostalgic sense of that incredibly tight impermeable bubble that little microcosm that existed around like you and your friends or you and your you're like your one particular friend where you're like no that's that was what it was to just have that language with them that was what it was for the world to feel so small as like it only belonged to us, but it could feel that way because we knew it was so big that we could sort of escape into it being tiny together. Like, and and that feels, that's such like the ache of watching My Girl. Like, you know how it ends and you start watching it again. You're like, I know what's gonna happen. So just like, I feel like it tumult in my chest, like a beautiful tumult in my chest the entire time. And I, and I, that was like, it immediately keyed in when I was watching. Um, you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah, that sense of, like, I just believed that these girls in their, like, hot, like Tony suburb, like, their the cataclysmic nature of all the things that they were going through, and that's just such the beauty of the teen movie experience, is putting everything that by comparison to an adult concern could feel inconsequential, but just making it epic and making it the entire mm-hmm. world. And that's just such a wonderful thing to be able to return to through movies for the rest of our lives, even as we get older and the world does become bigger to us. Oh, yeah. I think like that's why I've always been drawn to a lot of my favorite movies are stories about adolescence. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, you put it so poetically, uh, like perfectly and it's so poetic, but like, kids are like kids are like raw nerves right yeah. and like as a kid you don't have like I call it the adult filter <laughs> you don't have that filter quite yet yeah and I think like we yeah adults form these coping mechanisms and then we make movies about adults mm-hmm. where like emotions are like tempered and we need to control and kids are less filtered in a really beautiful way mm-hmm. and like yeah they feel everything like uh, they it, something that feels inse- inconsequential to us as an adult looking back is like no, that meant everything. everything. And like, yeah, maybe it's the first time you're feeling it. So everything is going to feel heightened. But like, it's like, I think revisiting that and reminding ourselves, like we all go through that and it's not inconsequential because mm-hmm. feelings aren't facts, but feelings are so real and they yeah. inform so much of who we are. Um, and I think like leaning into emotion, like that's also, it was important in, in bat mitzvah and the characters of Stacy and Lydia, but like leaning into like being messy and emotional and like, it's okay. And actually let's lean in and not turn that stuff off. Let's actually like move through it. Um, you know, and cause I don't think it's just contained to like coming of age movies they're not just about 13-year-olds or middle no. school or high school, college even. I think we come of age over and over and over. And Absolutely. it's what's beautiful. Yeah, like, that's why this genre is so applicable. Uh, like, I still watch My Girl, and it's still, like, it's it's nostalgic, but it's also still such a good reminder of, like, 
you know, everything we need to be reminded of. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and the arc with the arc with like her dad, you know, Dan Aykroyd and that and Jamie Lee Curtis and like him moving on from his wife who's passed into this new relationship. Like, you're right. Like, like to give it it underscores the emotional weight, I feel like, of what our young protagonists are going through when they have that foil of these older folks who whose lives like when you kind of set them alongside each other, it's like we're going through this just as much chaos, but it's just a different kind of chaos. And I guess this doesn't end, but the hope is that when we go through these bouts of chaos that we can find something beautiful regardless of how it fits in our context of our age. But like, yeah, like that, I, th- I, I it emphasizes the young story to have like the well-built out, like those MVP supporting adults in the coming mm-hmm. of age film. Yeah, well, I think I mean that's re- that's exactly it. I think like thirteen years old. Yeah, that's probably like a pretty heightened first time. You're going through some real big stuff, but um, having the adult characters. That's it is why it's so important. I think like it's something obviously for adults to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like yeah, we're gonna continue to go through a lot of bullshit. Life is gonna be <laughs> <Yeah>. chaotic. <laughs> like adolescence. Like just like hey, it gets better, but the bullshit doesn't end. But like. We get to be yeah. who we want to be through the bullshit. And we're going to keep making mistakes. It's like, you yeah. know, like adolescence, I ex- I was like talking about this and I go, adolescence is like this big fun roller coaster, right? Fast, <laughs> exciting, there's highs, there's lows. Like most of the time it's fun and, and it's a rush, <laughs> but then sometimes like your stomach drops, you're going to like throw up or die. Yeah. And that's just being 13. <laughs> but like also like that's just being a human being. And I think... If you don't embrace, you know, this is the cheesy th- the thing we all hear, but like, you know, without darkness, there's no light. And without, you know, the lows, there you can't feel as high. But um, I think it's such a, like, it's such an impactful reminder of like, the ride never ends, mm-hmm. but it's, but like, who's who's in that buggy with you? Who's on the ride with you? And again, it speaks, it goes back to this, like the idea of friendship and chosen family and community mm-hmm. and, and, you know, um, family, family, but, uh, and if you're fortunate enough to be queer, you have a whole other beautiful, beautiful perspective on life. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what crushed. Yeah. I mean, the chosen family is such a, um, it's funny. There's even like a a similarity, like, you know, in Judaism, like Mm. we have, I have kind of like a chosen family, a lot of my queer, uh, family Mm. and, it's funny as an adult, like I still have my mom and my sisters, but I have a like a Jewish community mm-hmm. that like I now belong to. And I'm like, what a beautiful thing that we can connect and relate to all these people. Um, and yeah, that's that. Those are the people that are going to like help me <laughs> when I'm on this roller coaster that is in nightmare sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, they, they can like scream with joy and they can, you know, uh, scream with fear. But like, yeah, if I'm if you're on the ride alone, it's a lot harder. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll get to Sammy's last feeling scene pick, the young lead from Celine Chiama's Tomboy. Then you'll have one quick thing about the latest way that you can watch my movie, Give Me an A, that came out in June. The Greatest Generation, Maximum Fun's irreverent, potty mouth Star Trek podcast is a big deal. How big? It's the only Star Trek podcast big enough to have our very own live show tour. And we're inviting all Star Trek fan max funsters everywhere. We're calling it the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. 
And this year, we're going to celebrate and roast Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. We're going to go to a bunch of cities, and GreatestGenTour.com has all the info. That's GreatestGenTour.com for dates and ticketing info for the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. Share your embarrassment and grow stronger from the sharing. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Teresa McElroy. And we're the host of Schmanners. We don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people. No, on Schmanners, we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence. So if that sounds like something you're into, join us every Friday on Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm talking to director Sammy Cohen, whose latest film is the Netflix feature, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Sammy has made films about young people, and they are feeling seen by the young characters in a few different films, the last of which we'll get to in just a second here. I feel like one of the great scams of being a young person is when any adult tries to tell you that you'll like grow out a certain kind of drama. Yep. I think we learn how to handle situations and process our feelings and cope. I think we develop coping mechanisms in life. But as a 38-year-old, yeah. the dramas of like office politics, of of on-set dynamics, like the drama of managing adults with large egos or bullies is absolutely a one-to-one with what you experience when you're an adolescent. And the fiction that anybody really leaves that stuff behind is such a stupid lie. It's so wrong. Mm -hmm. A part of me just goes, yeah, because as adults, I think a lot of us are just in denial. And we, like, it's part of what I was touching on earlier. Like, we want to just suppress Mm -hmm. the big feelings. We want to just kind of put our blinders on. And it's, it's this survival mechanism. It's a coping mechanism that we, I think we we adopt and that we like hold on to because it does feel like it helps us survive. But what I think this generation is actually teaching us, like I learn more from these kids, Mm. I think than they learned from me. Cause if you listen and you pay attention, I think they're going like, no, no, we need to move through the feelings (laughs) and we need to learn how to like manage this because it's not going to go away. Right, like, yeah. these things are not going to go away, and we can't be in denial anymore. Like, the world is a different place, and <laughs> I think, like, the addition, like, social media, just the state of our, you know, our world. Everything. Leave it at that. <laughs> Ev- like, truly everything. I think kids are actually going, like, no, no, we can't be in denial anymore because we've hit the breaking point, and that's what, um, n- like, now more than ever, like, I-, I think it's important to give, you know, voice to the younger generation uh-huh. on screen, you know, in, in our narrative world. But, um, yeah, I think we just need to listen to kids who are like, yeah, we're going to fucking, we got to fucking figure this out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the young, the young people, like, you know, they've got a long way to go for themselves in their personal journeys too. But like, I've met like a mm-hmm. group of like college kids lately and like to just be in consistent communication with like 21 year olds and these sort of casualness with which they because like I I will like you know talk about like queer stuff and queer life and the way Mm -hmm. that I will find myself sort of in their sort of experience over explaining me and my identity and how I am when there is such a um 
easy and casual like awareness and acceptance already of of who I am mm-hmm. and my experience that like I'll find myself talking and they fucking already bought in six monologues ago <laughs> and I'm just yep. like oh like no but you, oh you guys are just like good like this is okay you know let me okay I'll be done let me let me let me let me listen let me listen <laughs> I experience a similar thing where we feel I think like there is a definite shift and I see that in working with, you know, younger actors. Yeah. Uh, my my youngest sister works, um, she's a social worker and she works in elementary middle schools. Oh, wow. And it's like this beautiful thing that, and she, you know, again, we're in California, we're more specifically in LA. So like it is a more liberal part mm-hmm. of the country, the world, but um, it is very eye-opening for me mm-hmm. because I will find myself over-explaining yes. and I'm still so nervous to talk about it. There's so much, there, it feels so heavy to me, uh-huh. but kids talk about queerness, identity, sexuality in such a, such a nonchalant way where like, it's almost so glossed over. It was kind of like when I came out, everyone was like, <laughs> yeah, we, we know. I, I got uh, in this whole want, long, long explanation to, to, to one of these college students about like my pan-romantic gray sexuality. And just like, she just like listened and she just like squinted her eyes and kind of was like nodding approvingly. And her whole response was, that's kind of a sleigh though. And I was like, <laughs> you're right. Oh, that's, that's it. That's it. That's that's it's it. just that that's it <laughs> like end of story i, love <laughs> I, was like, that. I, I mean, agree with you yeah. it's kind of a sleigh though it it gives me hope i think and you know it's funny like in bat mitzvah mm-hmm. the i didn't know this before doing the movie but um i'm a, i'm non-binary identifies non-binary and uh and you know even within judaism everything's still so binary and gendered mm. the bat mitzvah the bar mitzvah right. i was like wait wait, 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 is there, what happens if you don't identify as male or female? I learned um, from talking to rabbis and kids, you know, more coastally, Toronto, New York, sure. California specifically, but um, I, w- I learned that now that they now do be mitzvahs or b'nai mitzvahs for they, them. And I was like, well, that's fucking cool. That's we got to put cool. that in the movie. Um, and I, I didn't have that opportunity as a kid. I didn't even know about it. So the first uh, the first party that the Freedmans go to is actually a B'nai Mitzvah. But oh, wow. here's the catch is like, so I, part of my goal as a filmmaker is to normalize the queer experience. Yes. And I think Crush, like, that was very much behind the whole, you know, making of that movie from beginning to end. Yeah. But in Bat Mitzvah, it's not a queer, you know, Stacey's not queer. I, lo- I absolutely loved the moment where it's like, so you only like boys? It's okay. Some <laughs> of us are straight, too. I mean, the college kids that I met, they've somehow magically all been heterosexual. And I'm like, how did you guys? Where are you guys like the seven people of your entire class at USC that it just is straight identifying? Like, I thought everyone was gay now. This is crazy to me. Well, it is so funny. I know. Well, and I, I think like I obviously appreciate that joke in such a similar way because I'm, it's, yeah, it feels like, okay, now everyone's out and allowed to be. <laughs> yeah. And when yeah. there's not a queer person in the room, I go, wait, something's off. Yeah. This how did we end right. up here? Like, coming off of Crush, again, Bat Mitzvah, like, Stacey's not queer, mm-hmm. and that's not, like, the driving force behind the, no. the movie or her story, but um, the B'nai Mitzvah was so important to me because it's, like, it's it's not mentioned, it's, like, glossed over, yeah. um, and that's kind of the point. Like, mm-hmm. making it so nonchalant 
is exactly like it's not called out. We're not drawing attention to it because that is and that's what I've learned from this generation that's coming of age right now. Like they don't make a big deal of it. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, we're not going to make a big deal out of of it because it's actually not a big deal. Right. Yeah. And that (laughs) like that's so much more powerful than going like we're queer. (laughs) We're here. Like, no, we're just also here yeah. like everyone's more concerned with the party and schmooly and <laughs> like, sure Devin happens to be non-binary who the hell cares like that's the beauty of you know uh, and I think the power of like what we can do in just like adding these details and rounding out the world and so I think that is I think that perfectly brings us into because we we could not uh, we, this is now we go into like coming of age movie grad school with Celine Chiama's tomboy it's it's like yeah. all right you've done your you've done your undergrad reading and and now we'll move on to the the advanced level courses which is a Celine Chiama uh adolescence film in tomboy and i had been meaning to watch this for ages but this was actually my first watch of it and when Ugh. did when did you find this movie or when did this movie find you yeah, it was er- so I was like early 20s when I saw it. Um I didn't come out until I was in my 20s. Okay. I was very closeted for a long time. Um so I saw it around the time it came out and I have never um I've never ever ever still to this day felt so seen by a film. Wow. I've never felt um I mean, yeah, Mikel that was me as a kid. I might even cry because I get very emotional. Like that was so, um, so much how I felt as a kid. Mm. I, when I'd go out with my mom, um, like running errands, uh, I dressed, I mean, I'm where I'm kind of dressed similarly now, but <laughs> I wore only boy clothes. I only wanted to wear boy clothes. I would put my hair up and hide it in a hat. I wore mm. a hat every day and people would, um, you know, when I was out with my mom, they'd go, Oh my God, your son's so cute. Um, and she would sort of have a, like a kind of adverse reaction and go, no, 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 it's my dot. Like, you know, and I just remember going like, I feel so good, Mm -hmm. but the, like, but this feels confusing and the world isn't necessarily understanding what this is and what I am. Um, and yeah, just seeing, you know, Mikkel who in every way looks and sounds and feels like a little boy, um, like one, I think there was like this beautiful moment of like, oh, there's freedom for yeah. him to do that. Yeah. And then and the way see... this movie conveys how much kind of like casual access it affords this little kid when suddenly like I'm Mikhail. 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 And the boys want to play with mm-hmm. him and he gets to play yep. soccer and he gets to do more fun stuff. He can hang out with the girls, too, and do that. Mm-hmm. But he also gets to have fun with the boys. And it shows you like this just quiet door openings that happens when like little boys get to be in the world. Yep. I mean, Celine's an incredible filmmaker and so (laughs) tapped into like the truth of, you know, just like humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's everything she does as a filmmaker is gentle. Mm -hmm. It's, it's quiet. It takes its time. Gentle. It's so beautiful and gentle. Like it's never forceful. It's uh, and it's very quiet and and slow. I think even when you look at like later movies like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it mm-hmm. really takes its time. Oh yeah. And I think that with Tomboy, um, everything I was watching, I was coming out of college in film school, and I, I was I was watching a bunch of like exciting, intense, like hard opinions. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And then watching this quiet movie unfold. Mm-hmm allowed me to sit with 
this feeling that was deep, deeply inside me for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think there's, that's a lot, it's like a powerful way to let a story unfold. No one knows who Mikkel is, right? They move and he gets to start over and choose himself how he wants to be and present and Mm -hmm. feel in the world um, and who he wants to be. And I think like, you know, there was a little bit of this like escapism fantasy for me going like, well, I like everyone knows me and I already like the secrets out for me. Yeah. There was something so like I got to live vicariously through, um, I think, Mikkel and go like, yeah, I want to reinvent myself, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and and this is a way. um, And then, like, the scene where he cuts the bathing suit. Like, there's Mm -hmm. just moments that, like, there were so many things that um, I think I did privately that I felt, like, a lot of shame around. Mm -hmm. I then got to see this kid, you know, cut the bathing suit. So he was wearing, like, a boy's suit and, like, do all these things to validate his identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I went, oh, Oh, I'm again, it's just like this is cheesy to say, but I'm like, oh, I'm not wrong. Oh, I'm not weak. Yeah. Oh, there's someone this is this is me. Like this is some like I've I understand exactly how this feels. Um Well and that gentleness allows it to be so matter of fact too. Mm-hmm. It's not showy how it's happening. It's like, oh, this is just I'm just watching this person's life like I feel my own. Yep. And it wasn't you know the other thing I'm even as we're talking about it, the younger sister was also such an impactful part of that film. Yes. Because she is so she validates Mikkel. Like Mikkel is there's there's no trauma, mm-hmm. there's no judgment. Um there's curiosity, there's interest, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, there's questions, but there's um it, yeah, it's gentle like the whole movie is so gentle and it really posits this idea of like, okay, there is space to be authentic and not be hurt mm-hmm. or judged or, you know, um, yeah, put on display. But everything was, yeah, it was very matter of fact is exact matter of fact and gentle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I think it's so powerful. Well, and I think, too, like, like you mentioned, like having this, you know, this com- intimate community growing up, like with your mom and your sisters and and seeming mm-hmm. like you feeling very like held by that. But then also like. Like, having that experience of, of, you know, your mom being like, no, 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 my, my little girl. It's my little girl. And then you have, like, mm-hmm. in, in you know, in Mikhail, like, Mikhail's mom loves loves him. Loves loves mm-hmm. them, perhaps. And they have, like, a really sweet home life. Like, the parents are really good with the kids and the siblings, like, are really bonded to each other. And then when she finds out that he's been presenting as Mikhail, like, there is this this rejection of that. And, and she, she slaps yeah. him across the face. And... But it, you know, and the insistence of like, you're going to wear this dress now and we're going to go and mm-hmm. we're going to tell people that you've been lying to them. And then they have that moment in the corridor where she's like this. I'm not trying to punish you. But that dissonance between like the parents and the community who do love, but still even in their love can receive that sort of news, can receive that sort of information about the truth of who a person is and not not mm-hmm. handle it super well. Yeah. Like really that scene in the corridor is just like devastating. Then there's that embrace and and mom hugs Mikhail and it's just very like, wow, 80,000 feelings just happened with four lines of dialogue in this one scene. Yeah, I mean like it kind of makes my stomach drop and like every hair stand up cuz it's hard like the there is so much love behind it. Mm-hmm. I think what that really showcases like as a parent and I think I've noticed this in my own experience like 
just the the generational divide. I think mm. with parents in general, you feel this need to protect your kids, yeah, and to send them out into the world and go. I want them to like have the best chance at surviving this world. Mm-hmm. And you look at a world, you know, again, like we've been conditioned and society, like society has like taught us something for so long. And so it, part of it just takes time. But I think like, yeah, the parent is, I love you and I'm doing this because I love you mm-hmm. and I want you to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this, you know, I think with my mom, like with her, like we got my ears pierced. She would always correct people, mm. you know, and say, this is my daughter, not my son. Um, I think there was just this very like real feeling of fear as a parent yeah. going, I'm scared and I don't want people to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to help you. If you, if we hide you, we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what an, what a weird, ironic, also like being Jewish, like that plays God, into the whole... Wow. I think like there is a real deep seated need to survive and protect your young mm-hmm. at like on a very on a in a very animalistic like just fundamentally human way, and so yeah, in tomboy that scene it's so tragic to me and it <sighs> breaks my fucking heart every time. Um, I get I'm already it's coming, I- but like, but it's also so under like there's a part of me that empathizes with with mom and with the parents going like, oh, they just want this kid to be okay. Mm -hmm. And they don't know exactly how to navigate that. Uh, But that also made me feel seen because I think like my mom is, and my my whole family is like incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm getting top surgery next year. Like there's a lot of things. Congratulations. Fuck yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And I'm, you know, I feel so, so much more comfortable with myself. Um, And they're so supportive, but there is still always a little bit of dissonance. Mm -hmm. And there's still always a little bit of like, you know what, they're not going to understand everything completely. And that's okay. I have people that do. I have people that share my experience. (laughs) And that's where Chosen Family and all of the, and the films that, like these films, these things that we escape into, but also that are mirrors and tools of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Like I think, um, like that's really become like a part of, I think like what I want to do as a filmmaker and a a person like film aside. Well, you you happen to have this skill and this avenue to where you as a person can be translated into you as art that, you know, in, in the populist media that it is can reach a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people. It's true. And that's the, that's why I love that we get to do what we do. Um, I sort of, I'm realizing I'm really drawn to normalizing experiences that feel more specific, yeah. whether it's being Jewish or being queer. Um, it's just yeah. like talking about it in a way that goes like, this isn't a big deal. It just is what it is. And like, uh-huh. just like starting to normalize these <laughs> things that divide us and that we have like, you know, there's been a lot of tension and fear. Uh, and yeah, I think it's just a matter of going like, we're all the same and we can all relate in some way. Uh and let's mm-hmm. normalize this stuff because all we have is each other. That's like, I, I can't go out on something better than that. So I just thank you so much for your time and talking to me about your movies and these movies and how all those things form the melting pot that is you and taking the time with me and being so generous to discuss them. This has been uh, so lovely. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you again to Sammy Cohen. Their first film, Crush, 
The episode that we have tied to that huge feeling scene hit is out there on Hulu for you to enjoy. And you are so not invited to My Bat Mitzvah, debuted last weekend on Netflix and has set a really fun record. It is now Adam Sandler's best-reviewed film on Rotten Tomatoes ever? Is that true? Like, Uncut Gems doesn't have as good a rating? We just, I had to fact that, I had to fact check that, you guys, because I don't doubt uh, what the information that producer Marissa provides, but it was like, wait a minute, Uncut Gems was like a huge deal. Indie Spirit Awards, the critical ascent, re-ascent of Adam Sandler. Like, you know, he was serious in that one movie, Punch Trump Love, and everyone was like, he's an actor. Well, he's always been an actor. He's a good actor. But like, wow, you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah. A 96 standing so far on Rotten Tomatoes uh, in the storied and long career of Adam Sandler, his most critically revered film to date. Congratulations to the Sandler family, Sonny and Adam both, and to Adina Menzel and Adam Sandler. Let's keep the Adam and Adina marriage cinematic universe going. I want to see this couple in more things. We've had them in Uncut Gems. Now we have them in Bat Mitzvah. What other, what, let's put them in a vacation movie next because I want to see where that goes. Um, what a delight. Uh, thank you again to, like, also to Sammy Cohen who, uh, as I was telling producer Marissa the other day, perhaps one of my favorite working directors uh, at all now. Uh, what a talent. And I cannot wait for the next tale of love and heartbreak, uh, and whatever it is that they decide to make. Uh, but now let's get to that one last quick thing before we go. And it is a quick thing. And that is that you can watch my movie, Give Me an A, which is an anthology film by 17 uh, female directors, uh, writers and directors. And every short is a could mostly body horror, but also some body comedy in there that is a reaction to the destruction of Roe versus Wade as settled precedent in the United States. Uh, everyone who worked on it did a great job. We did a great job. It's really good. Uh, if I, I was fully prepared to work on an anthology and be like, it's fine. But because anthology is like, your mileage may vary, man. It's, it's, a, it's a lot to gamble on, a lot of moving parts to gamble on, to be like, this whole thing's good. Like, the whole thing is good. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by us. I'm proud of us. And it is on Tubi, the ultimate streaming service, because Tubi doesn't require a login and it doesn't require a subscription or any of your money. You can just go to Tubi's website and just watch. You just watch stuff. That, to me, makes it the elite streaming service because it's not asking for any of your credit card information. You just click play and watch stuff. Are there commercials? Yes. Grow up. Get over it. You had them when you were a kid. You can have them again now. So go watch Tubi for the price of nothing additional to you. You can see Give Me an A. And that is our show. Leading you right off into going to watch Give Me an A right now. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun.
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.